Good morning, church. Y'all are singing loud. It sounds amazing. Read with me this morning, Matthew chapter 18. And at that time, the disciples came to Jesus, saying, Who is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? And calling to him a child, he put him in the midst of them and said, Truly, I say to you, unless you turn and become like children, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. Whoever humbles himself like this child is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. Whoever receives one such child in my name receives me. But whoever causes one of these little ones who believe in me to sin, it would be better for him to have a great millstone fastened around his neck and to be drowned in the depths of the sea. Father, we thank you for this opportunity we have to be with you this morning. We thank you for this place where we can freely worship you. Father, we thank you for this, this message of hope, but this warning, this childlike faith. That's all we need to reach you. Father, I pray that you be with us this morning as, as Pastor Chris brings the word. Open our hearts and our minds and our ears to your word this morning, Father. And may we take this message out with us throughout this week. In your great and holy name we pray. Amen. Well, good morning, church. And it's the first Sunday of 2024. Can you believe that? Um, it's pretty awesome. I'm excited to be here and talk about Matthew chapter 18. We're going to be walking through the whole chapter because I think through this chapter... Jesus is kind of weaving together these three strands that are going to make a cord that is not easily broken. That if you want to truly have a heart that is fully devoted to God, there's these three, I think, strands that need to be present in our life. And I'm giving the sermon away already, right? So I'm going to give you the, the sermon and a couple sentences, then you guys are like, we're out, all right? No, but we have some more to say about it. But here's kind of the idea. If you want to have a heart fully devoted to God, then it takes these three things. You have to have a childlike faith. A childlike faith. We're going to see that in these verses. This is what Ryan had read to us, right? You need to have real accountability in your life. You need to have people that actually know the real you, not the projected version of you, right? That they know the deep and the dark and the real part of you. And lastly, that you need to have a radical forgiveness. You need to be able to forgive people like Christ has forgiven you. That's the journey that we're going to be on today. We're going to be weaving these things together so that we can hopefully see the heart of God at work. Now, when I think about childlike faith, right, when I just think of that, I think of a few things. Like I think about when my kids were young, they were fully dependent on us, right? They were fully dependent on us to feed them, to change them, to do everything for them, to keep them alive. Do you remember if you're a parent, then when they said, you can go home now with your baby, and you're like, really? You're, I have to, you want me to keep this alive? Like, uh, okay. I read some books, but it's different, right? And so they're, they're, these children are fully dependent, just like we are supposed to be fully dependent on God, right? And then after that, as they begin to grow up, they begin to trust you, right? They start running and jumping off things for you to catch them, jumping off the stairs, jumping in the pool. I mean, if, I mean, I trust Eric Pruka, but if I go leaping off the stage right now, right, that's going bad. Like, I don't crowd surf. 
I just don't. Like, I'm a base. If you're a cheerleader, I'm a base, right? I'm not a flyer, right? And so there, there's a certain amount of trust that takes place. In our relationship, as we grow in our relationship with God, we begin to trust him more and more because we see his faithfulness. He caught me last time, he's going to catch me again. And we see his faithfulness at work of the people that are around us. Man, I've seen him catch you. I've seen him catch you. Man, God is so good. But then it moves even deeper because if you're like me and you have kids that are now adults, it's not just about can I catch them anymore. It's about a relationship that we've built together over that time. And the same is true with our God. That yes, we're fully dependent on him. We trust him, but we have relationship with him. We now talk as friends, right? We now get a chance to convene and spend time together. This is what it means to have a childlike faith. You know what else it means? Children imitate their parents. The good and the bad, right? I don't know if you've been one of those people where that word came out of your child. Right? Where did you learn that? It had to be at school. No, daddy said, right? You've had that before where they begin to imitate you, right? Or I, I've been a youth pastor for such a long time, and then I'll meet the parents, right? They'll come to parent night. At refuge, like, uh -huh. Yeah, okay, got it, right? Because they imitate us, right? I thought back this, this weekend, I had a chance to clean out my um, office, mostly because we had people coming over, so I had to make sure it looked good. Um, and so I cleaned, and I found these two pictures, and it made me think about this, kids imitating their father. Like, here's the first picture, right? This is my oldest daughter and my oldest son, Tyler. He has a purple mohawk, just like dad, right? An imitation right there. We got the same shirt on. Awesome. Right? Here's another picture of the younger two, right? Kale, I think, is seven in this picture, and he's already dyed his hair pink, right, because of dad in this picture. We were the pink team going on mission up to Mission Arlen to do some work, the amazing race. Um, so, man, kids tend to imitate their father. Are we imitating Christ? The things that he says, are we saying those things? The way that he treats others, do we treat other people that way? Right? Or do we have a love for the things that he loves and a hate for the things that he hates? Do we have an imitation in us of our Father in heaven? This is a childlike faith. And then we're going to dive in. In chapter 18, we're going to see more about how Jesus describes this childlike. If we want to have a childlike faith... We have trust, we have intimacy, we have imitation, all of these things going on. Look what he says in verse 1. He said, and at that time, the disciples came to Jesus saying, who is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? Man, those disciples, they never disappoint, do they? I mean, they're like, okay, like, you're healing those people. Who's the greatest, right? Am I, me? Right, they're already starting to think, who's the greatest and how can I get there, right? And this is just so typical of adult thinking versus childlike faith. In adult thinking, we have the goat conversation, right? Anybody know what the goat conversation? We're, we're not talking about that, right? Goat conversation, greatest of all time conversations, right? Like the most famous one is this. Are you a Jordan or a LeBron fan, right? Who is the greatest? Okay, who's on the Jordan side, greatest of all time? Okay, who's on the LeBron side? Who has no idea who we're talking about? Who's like, do they play a sport? Like, <laughs> what's going on, all right? Okay, how about this one? Maybe you're wrestling fans, right? Maybe this, maybe are you on the rock team or the John Cena team, right? I put this in honor of Melba Nunn. If you remember Melba, she was our financial secretary. She was probably like 4'11", 90 pounds, and loved wrestling, right? One of the, her highlight at Fellowship Church was I body slammed her. That was her highlight. She jumped off a tree. She has a pig valve in her heart. 
and she choreographed our wrestling sequence. She jumped off a chair. I caught her, and I slammed. Well, I didn't slam her. I set her down gently, but it looked like I body slammed her to the ground, right? My elbows hurt. But anyway, you know, man, how many, anybody a rock fan? Rock fan? John Cena fan, right? Anybody like, wrestling's fake, I'm not in, right? I mean, I grew up in the Von Erichs, like the claw back in that phase, right, because I'm old like that. Right? Man, you can have a greatest conversation about anything, ketchup, mayo, greatest movie ever, right? Probably these aren't on that list, but still, you can still have that conversation, right? I mean, remember, like, The Passion of the Christ, amazing movie that you can really only see once because it just sticks with you. Or anybody see God's Not Dead? Did you go see it with a youth group? Because what do they say at the end of that movie? Text your friends, God's not dead, right? And I'm driving the bus home and my phone is like smoking. Beep, 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 like 900 texts. Guys, I was in the movie with you. Stop bothering me, right? But you, know, you have these things, right? We can debate all day long, but what happens is when we begin to debate the goat, it becomes about us. It becomes individualized. We start thinking, where am I in that scale of basketball players? Where am I in that scale? Where am I in these different things? Instead of thinking of the body of Christ, that we are knit together as the body of Christ. And as you go, I go. And as I go, you go. And that we are connected together. It reminds me of 1 Corinthians chapter 12. And it talks about this idea of the body of Christ. Look what it says in verse 14. For the body does not consist of one member, but of many. And, and Fellowship Church is not just one person. It's you. All of us connected together, loving each other well, being a light in the community. This is the body of Christ. For the body does not consist of one member, but many. If the foot should say, because I am not a hand, I do not belong to the body, that would not make it any less a part of the body. And if the ear should say, because I am not an eye, I do not belong to the body, that would not make it any less a part of the body. If the whole body were an eye, where would the sense of hearing? And if the whole body were an ear, where would be the sense of smell? But as it is, God arranged the members in the body, each one of them as he chose. If all were a single member, where would the body be? As it is, there are many parts, yet one body. It'd be really awkward if we were just one big, huge ear. We're like, Punk. we're just sitting there. Listening in, but we can't do anything about it, right? That's the beauty of us being the body of Christ. That as you, maybe you're the ear. Maybe, maybe I'm the pinky toe. We, need, we all need a pinky toe, right? We need something to hit that chair late at night. We need something, we need, we need something right, to remind us that we have pain in our life. Um, you, ne you never know what your role is in the body of Christ, but each one of you, as God chose, has brought you in, woven you together with this body to be a light to the world, to imitate Christ, who is the head of the church, right? That's, that's the picture that we see here. So we don't want to get into this, this trap if it's all about us and it's all about individual. No, we're part of something greater than ourselves. Look at verse 2. It says, so they ask him, who is the greatest, right? Jesus looks around. He sees a child. He's like, hey, calls a child to himself, right? It says, in calling to him a child, he put him in the midst of them, right? So he calls up a child. I don't know how you picture the scene. Does Jesus kind of get on a knee and start teaching them there? Does he scoop up the child, put him in his arm? But he, he invites them to be a part of this discussion. And see, as adults, we tend to think that we belong. We tend to insert ourselves and try to define ourselves based upon our own idea and our thoughts and our feelings. We try to define ourselves by that instead of saying, no, who has God created me to be? 
You see, when you say, I belong, that means you're inviting yourself to the party instead of someone else inviting you. Isn't it great to get invited to a party? Isn't it great to be invited to a conversation? That means, hey, Jaden, man, come on over. Like, hey, that means I want to spend time with Jaden, really. I want to spend time with Jaden. He's awesome, right? So that, that idea, right, is that children invited. I love that this kid obeys. Can you, can you think of a more intimidating person to invite you to come on over? Like, this is like Jesus, right? He's like, hey, come on in. We need to learn to be more childlike. Look what he says in verse 3. And he said, truly I say to you, unless you turn and become like children, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. What, wait, what does it mean turn? What, what are they turning from? Oh, they're chasing after the goat. They're chasing being the greatest. And yet he's saying turn and humble yourself. Whoever humbles himself like this child is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. You see, adults, we like to pump ourselves up. Pride seeps in. Yet we're supposed to be humble like a child. We're supposed to have a humility. How do you stay humble? Do you have real accountability? Because that strand is going to get woven in here in a second. Or do you have reminders? Like I have reminders around me all the time to stay humble. Like I wear a red bracelet all the time. Right? It says Fellowship Church on one side. It says Jesus is servant on the other side. Because we're all here just to serve one another. Right? Another example. I don't know if you ever noticed, but I never capitalize Fellowship Church. It's always a little F and a little C in there because we don't deserve to be capitalized, right? God deserves to be capitalized. Jesus gets a big J. Satan, he gets like a little font. Like, yeah, we don't even need to put him on the page, right? But man, just a reminder, who are we? We're just part of the body. We're just part of what God is doing in the city of Kyle. We just have to remember that. Sometimes we just think way too highly of ourselves instead of humbling ourselves like a child. Lord, if you say yes, I, I say yes. You say, do this, I obey and do that, right? That, that's what Christ is calling us to do. Be like children, simplifying those things before us. Um, look what it says in verse 5. Whoever receives one such child in my name receives me. Man, aren't children a blessing to the Lord? Now listen, do you really believe this? Children are a blessing. Do you receive the children, even if they start crying right in the middle of service? Even if they're like looking at you right now during the sermon, you're trying to pay attention and they're like, ah. they're like checking it out, right? Do we embrace, as a church, are children important to us? I hope so. I hope we never need volunteers in the kids' ministry. That he's like, okay, we have like 40 people already in this, this wanting to do this today. Because we want to pour into the children. Because he says here, when you pour into the children, you're pouring into Christ. You're receiving me. Oh, I pray that we will never see our kids as a bother. Never see your kids as a bother. Listen, they grow up fast. Believe me. They're gone. They're, they're in another country before you know it, right? Enjoy the time that you have with your children. You know, I read a stat um, yesterday as I was researching some things, and this is from the CDC and from the National Children's, not a Christian study at all, but they say that today, in today's world, that 8 to 18-year-olds spend seven hours a day in front of a screen. Seven hours per day in front of a screen. That kids become a bother and they're like, hey, here's an iPad, right? I even saw it this week going out in the store and like, they got in the store and like, iPad, iPad, phone, right? All of a sudden, man, I pray that we won't put our kids in front of a rectangle and let that raise them. I pray that we'll be like, no, 
I'm right here. This is 3D. You don't need glasses, right? It's, life is 3D. Come on. Let's experience it. We're 4D, right? Let's do this, right? I hope that we make the most of every opportunity with our kids. That we ne- when we get home from work, that, that's our, that job that we just did, that's not our first job. Our family is our first job. Leading our wives, leading our kids, loving one another well, that, that is our priority because we have an opportunity to make disciples, of all nations, and guess where it starts? Right here with our kids. Like, man, I pray that our kids will just be a joy. They'll be embraced. They'll be invited into the life of our church family. Because if not, whoo, look, look what he says next. But whoever causes one of these little ones who believe in me to sin, it will be better for him to have a great millstone fastened around his neck and be drowned in the depth of the sea. That if you are going to lead a child away, take advantage of a child, do something to harm a child, here's Jesus' thought, and tie that big old ton rock around your neck, go to the depths. That's how much he loves children. That's how much the responsibility, not just of being a parent, but being the people around the children in our church, it means that we are supposed to love them, honor them, encourage them towards Christ. And we're supposed to walk alongside parents, helping them in this journey. And if not, ooh, we don't want to be in the depths. We don't want to feel that weight of that sin. And then Jesus turns and he begins to, to weave into our story another strand, right? So we've been talking about this childlike faith. And he's going to start weaving in accountability into this mix. Because it's not just enough to have just a childlike faith. He wants us to have accountability, He wants us to to bond together in this theme. And so he ties it in. In verse 7, it starts with this word woe. And we're going to see this word woe show up in chapter 23 a lot. He's going to begin to unleash this warning or this woe. We're like, hey, be careful on the people. And he gives them a woe right here. It says, woe to the world for temptations to sin. For it is necessary that temptations come, but woe to the one by whom the temptation comes. Now, this word temptation, I don't think the ESV does a great job with this word temptation because we've seen this word before, right? We've seen it back in chapter 16, verse 23. If you remember when Peter, right, the little rock, the pebble, right, he he starts talking and rebuking Jesus, like, get behind me. You are a hindrance to me. This word hindrance is the same Greek word that we see here. Many, many other Bibles use the word offense there or use the word stumbling block because when you look at this word, you see all of these different meanings, right? Here's the first meaning, a movable stick. Movable stick? And it reminds you of when you're a kid and you're trying to set a trap for your brother or sister to come around the corner and you have like the little the stick that when it comes out, the, the rope grabs them or, you know, something like that. Um, I wasn't very good at it, obviously. Um, but this idea of a snare or a, a stumbling block being put in the way. So this is really saying, woe to the world for the stumbling blocks to sin. And we have a world out there that is throwing boulders at people right now. They're throwing just things at people all the time to trip them up, to push them away from the Lord. For it is necessary that these stumbling blocks come, but woe to the one by whom the stumbling blocks come. Be careful. Don't be a stumbling block to the children. Be one of those that encourages them and blesses them and pulls them along. Because again, look what he says next in verse 8. And if your hand or your foot causes you to sin, cut it off and throw it away. 
It is better for you to enter life crippled or lame than with two hands or two feet to be thrown into the eternal fire. And if your eye causes you to sin, tear it out and throw it away. It's better for you to enter with one life with one eye than with two eyes be thrown into hell of fire. Woo, now listen, I'm as literal as anybody with the Bible. Don't go home and do this, okay? When, when we sin, okay, because we are going to fall short of the glory of God. Like, don't go rip your eye out because, guys, listen, your eye isn't causing you to sin. It's your heart. It's your mind. It's your will and desire that's being leading you astray in those things, right? But here's the point. How serious do you take your sin? How serious? Uh, you know, it, it's not hurting anybody. Is it, though? Is it hurting people? Any sin in your life is destroying you. It's pulling you away from the eternal glory that Christ has intended for you. I mean, if I made you brownies for Christmas and I just put a little bit of dog poop in it, just a little, you'd never even know. Would you be okay with that? You're like, oh, thanks for the present. You're like, no, I'm throwing that out, right? But yet we, somehow in our life, we think, oh, if I just have a little bit of pornography in there, not a big deal. Oh, if I just lie and gossip a little bit, I mean, come on, it's not a big deal. I got all kinds of likes on it, right? I mean, if I just have a little bit of greed, just a little bit of these things in our life, it's not a big deal. But is it? See, we don't take our sin serious enough. We explain it away. We say things like, oh, that's just who I am. I'm just, I'm naturally just an angry person. That's just who I am. It doesn't give you an excuse to sin. Just because you have a bent towards the sin doesn't give you an excuse to exercise it. And to violate all kinds of other verses that say, be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to become angry. See, just because we feel that way or just because we don't think of our sin seriously doesn't mean it's not serious to the Lord. Doesn't mean it separates us from hearing and knowing the fullness of what God has for our life. And it leads us into more and more and more debauchery unless we take our sin seriously. Unless we're willing to let other people into our life to know the real us. And then look where he goes next. Because again, he's weaving these things together. He goes back to the children. Look at verse 10. See to it that you do not despise one of these little ones. For I tell you that in heaven, their angels always see the face of my Father who is in heaven. Now let's pause, right? Let's take a little, little side trip all right, down the side aisle of this one. This is a verse that a lot of people use for the idea of a guardian angel. Like, do we have a guardian angel? I hope so. That would be awesome, right? Like, walking around the stage right now, there's, like, some just jacked angel, like, don't mess with him, right? Just, like, sword ready. It's on fire. Like, oh, that'd be awesome. Six wings. Like, that would be awesome, right? Now, is that true, though? Does, do each one of us have that? Some people would use this first. Now, let's look at this verse from a person. There's four kind of options on this idea of guardian angels. One is that every child has a guardian angel. That's what you would get from this verse. Don't mess with the children because each one of them, their angels sees the Father in heaven. Now, here's a problem with that, right? The problem is when we went through the book of Hebrews in chapter 1, verses 13, 14, this is the part that um, the author of Hebrews was describing that Jesus is greater than the angels, right? And in verse 13, it talks about how, to which of the angels has he said, uh, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies a footstool for your feet, right? He's talking about Jesus being the one at the right hand of God. But then it says, and aren't all ministering spirits 
there to serve for the sake of those who inherit salvation. So the purpose of angels, they're ministering spirits for the people of God, right? That's, that's the point. That's the purpose of an angel. So option number two would be, well, when he's saying children here, he's talking about new believers in Christ. Now, when you're a new believer, God assigns you an angel to be a, a helper along. I think that's interesting. I mean, that, it could be, right? Again, we don't know. Um, someday we're going to get to find out and we get to see God in all of his glory. And some people would point towards verse 12. Look at what verse 12. We know this parable very well. What, what, or what do you think? If a man has a hundred sheep and one of them has gone astray, does he not leave the 99 on the mountains and go in search of the one that went astray? And if he finds it, truly I say to you, he rejoices over it more than the other 99 that never went astray. And so it is not the will of my Father who is in heaven that one of these little ones should perish. So does that mean that the, the man in here is this guardian angel going to rescue him, or is the man in this story Jesus? That when one of his, his children and one of his people goes astray, he goes after them, scoops them up, and brings them back into the family of God. And this is going to get into that accountability thing that we're talking about here in a second. So do all new believers have a guardian angel until then? It's possible. We don't know. There's not a lot of biblical proof. Or do we all have a guardian angel, right? Do we all have them? Like in this room right now, like there's a bunch of us, but there's a bunch of them as well. That would be awesome. Wouldn't you love to just have the veil pulled back and see the spiritual war going on around us? That would be awesome and scary all in the same time, right? Um, but man, it would be, be super cool, right? But I don't know if we all have one. In fact, think of Daniel. Remember back in the book of Daniel, Daniel had a lot of interactions with the spiritual world, a lot of incredible visions. You remember when he got thrown in the lion's den and they didn't attack him? Why? Because God sent his angel. He sent. There wasn't one there just like, get back, boys, get back. Right? He sent an angel to the Lord. Look at Daniel chapter 10. He sends an angel who gets delayed on the way. Right? So Daniel, I mean, who doesn't want to be a Daniel? <laughs> the biblical Daniel Stood, right? Amazing. It says that he was being sent angels. So most likely, when we say the term guardian angels, what we're saying is that there are angels that God assigns for his purposes and for particular situations for God's purpose to work in his people. That right now, perhaps encamped around us right now, are angels protecting this place from the schemes of the enemy. I hope so. I pray that God is protecting us from the enemy's schemes that want to get in and divide us. But we know this, that God has assigned angels for his people for specific purposes. In fact, go back to Psalm 91, right? David is on the run. Saul is trying to chase him down, and David is, is hiding from him. And here's what he says. Here's kind of God's answer to David as David's crying out to him. And he says this, because you have made the Lord your dwelling place, the Most High who is my refuge. Ooh. Is the Lord your dwelling place? Do you believe that one day in his court is better than a thousand elsewhere? Whew, we don't ever fear death because one day in his courts is better than years and years upon this earth. Whew. Right? So if the Lord is your dwelling place, no evil shall be allowed to befall you. No plague shall come near your tent for he will command his angels concerning you to guard you in all your ways, and on their hands he will bear you up, lest your foot strike against the stone. And do you remember, the enemy 
in the second temptation with Christ, tried to th- use this verse. Hey, put yourself on the pinnacle and throw yourself down because it is written. And he uses this verse. What are you saying? David has been given angels to protect him from the things that are going on all around him. So, so don't limit yourself to one guardian angel. Perhaps you have more. Perhaps your family has a whole company of angels there to protect your house from the schemes of the enemy coming in. We do know this, that his angels are there to protect us, to minister to us, to guide us, to help us in walking with Christ. Thanks for letting me chase a rabbit. Okay, now let's go back. Because it gets really real in verse 15, okay? If we want to take our sins seriously, how serious? Look what he says in verse 15. If your brother sins against you, go and tell him his fault between you and him alone. If he listens to you, you have gained your brother. But if he does not listen, take two or one or two others along with you, that every charge may be established on the evidence of two or three witnesses. If he refuses to listen to them, tell it to the church. And if he refuses to listen even to the church, let him be to you as a Gentile or a tax collector. Woo! Okay, it's getting real. Is it hot in here? All right. It's going to get hot in here because here's a process that Jesus gives them for dealing with sin in the church. Right? Here's the first step. If someone sins against you, you go to them alone. Right? You don't like announce it to the world that if Yasha and I had a problem, I would go to Yasha and we would have a conversation. Right? And that's the way we're supposed to handle things. If someone wrongs you, you go to them. Right? Now, if Yasha doesn't respond well to that, Perhaps there's one or two other people in the church that see this same thing going on in Yasha's life. Thanks for sitting in the front row, Yasha. Really appreciate it, all right? Um, That's why no one wants to sit in the front row. Um, No, but, you know, two or three people would go and have this conversation with him. And then if if he doesn't respond to that, you bring him before the church. And if he doesn't respond to that, you treat him as a type. You ask him to leave the fellowship of the body. Now, listen, here's an intense question. Do you think that God still has this role for the church in 2024? Do you think that God is calling the church to still hold people accountable to their sin based upon this Matthew 18 sort of standard? I mean, it's in the word. And we've been through this process multiple times as a church. And I know it can be pretty challenging. And I know those people that, wait, you told the church about this person's sin? Yeah. Now listen, I knew this when I signed up for this job. If there is sin in my life and it comes out, you're going to know about it. That, that's part of what the responsibility it is to be a leader, to be a person in the, in the church of God, to be a part of the body, is that your sin is not just your sin, but it affects the whole body of Christ. Woo. This is a different way of thinking about church in 2024. Man, what if we had to ask someone in our church to step out of the church because of the person that they wronged was still in the church? And that person shouldn't lose their church family. Whew, it's a difficult journey. But here's the question. How serious are you about your sin? How much do you want to be set free from the bondage that leads us back into slavery. We go back into the bonds of being a slave to our sin is how the Bible describes it. Or do we want to have true freedom in him? Depends how serious you see your sin. See, if you don't take your sin seriously, you don't want anybody else to know. I told you it was going to get hot up in here, right? Because, man, 
This is a very high standard he's calling us to. And look what he says in verse 18. Truly I say to you, whatever you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven. Whatever you loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. If you decide, then this person is sin, but we're going to embrace them. We're going to come around them. We're going to walk with them through this to see the glory of the Lord. Awesome. If you have to let them loose for the good of the body, we let them loose. Then he says, and again, I say to you, if two of you agree on earth about anything they ask, it will be done for them by my Father in heaven, that the unity of the body is so important. For where two or three are gathered in my name, there I am among them. And isn't that true? When you come into a place like this and you sing praises and I can hear you singing behind me, man, it stirs your spirit in a different way. I sing in the car all the time. I sing in the shower all the time. It ain't the same as coming together with those that have a common heart with you. And then we see Peter. You got to love him, right? And Peter came up and said to him, Lord, how often... Will my brother sin against me and I forgive him? Like, okay, thank you for that process. How many times do I got to do the process, right? Thanks for letting me know. I need to go to him, but do I have to keep forgiving him every time? Like, how, about, how about seven? That's a good number. Forgiving someone seven times. What does Jesus say? Not seven, but 77. And I can see Peter right now like, okay, getting the paper out. One, two, three, and start the list, right? Top of it, John, right? All right, John's got a list. Man, I got a list on this guy, right? Is that what Jesus is talking about? That we need to keep a list, and when they get to 77, we're out. No more, right? Or is he talking about a radical type of forgiveness? Look at this story that Jesus tells them. He says this, Therefore, the kingdom of heaven may be compared to a king who wishes to settle accounts with his servants. When he began to settle, one was brought to him who owed him 10,000 talents. Whew. Now, we're, in today's world, we don't know what a talent is, right? So a talent is 6,000 denarii. That's just kind of, uh, it fluctuated a little bit, but around 6,000 denarii. Now listen, a denarii is one day's wages. So take what you make in a day, multiply that by 6,000, and that is like what one talent is. And he owes 10,000 talents. So to pay off one talent, it would take him 16 years of work times 10,000, 160,000 years of work. Here's the point. It's not, the number's not the point. The point is there is a debt that he could never pay. He did, there's not enough lifetimes for him to live to pay that debt. Kind of reminds you of us, doesn't it? Because we have a sin that we can never pay the debt for. Because what are the wages of our sin? Death. We can never do enough good things to fill in that hole that is caused by our sin. There's only one way that we can be made whole again, and that's by the sacrifice of Jesus Christ. That's by making him Lord of our life. See, we're this man. We're this man in the story. We can't pay the price, but Christ paid it for us upon the cross. Trust in him. Put your childlike faith in him. Don't put your childlike faith in you because we all fall short of the glory of God. Uh, that's the message here. And so he he's, has a debt he can never pay. And since he could not pay, this is verse 25, his master ordered him to be sold with his wife and his children and all that he had and the payment made. Our sin, whew, it could cost us a lot. So the servant fell on his knees imploring, have patience with me and I will pay you everything. 
and out of pity for him. This word pity means that in his bowels he felt compassion. That somewhere inside of him, this master, when he sees this servant fall upon his knees, he has mercy on him. And the master of that servant released him and forgave him the debt. Woo! Can you imagine being forgiven that debt? How would you live? Would you really be free? You're free of your sin? But what does this servant do? But when the same servant went out and he found one of his fellow servants who owed him a hundred denarii. Now listen, a hundred denarii, that, that's legit amount. That's a hundred days wages. That's a, that's a significant debt. But he had been forgiven 60 million days work of debt. But this person owes a hundred days of debt. Hmm. I bet you, you know what? He's going to feel compassion in his soul, isn't he? He just got forgiven. Wouldn't you? Ooh, let's pause. Think of the debt that Christ paid for you. Isn't it so easy to forgive others? No? Me either. Why is it so hard for us to give people that legitimately sin against us, that legitimately cause us pain emotionally, physically, relationally? Why is it so hard to forgive them based upon what Christ has given for us? It it's, it's just a crazy thought to forgive. Now listen, I want, I want to show you a quick graphic, okay? Because the reason that we can forgive so freely is because all three of these strands are woven together, right? That when we have a childlike faith, our faith is not in ourselves; Our faith is in the Lord. And then when we have real accountability and mixed with this radical forgiveness, that is this cycle of grace that is a beautiful thing to behold. It has obedience. It has us being like Christ in the middle of it. It has us loving one another because love covers a multitude of sins. It's a beautiful process. But listen, if we leave out one of those parts, right, if we have a childlike faith and we want to hold people accountable but we're unwilling to forgive, legalism seeps in. We, like, we start judging one another. Or maybe you're like, you know what? I don't like that accountability. I just want to have a childlike faith and I want to forgive. But guess what? You begin to enable sin to take place because you have all the grace, but you're unwilling to speak the truth. And so you actually enable them to continue in their sin instead of being willing to speak the truth. Or maybe you just say, let's just take the whole God part out of it. Let's just like hold each other accountable, forgive each other. But listen, it becomes a scoreboard. I'm so great because I forgive others. And this morality sets in and we put all of our hope in that good people go to heaven. Guys, good people going to heaven don't go to heaven. Saved people, people that believe in Jesus Christ as the Lord go to heaven. That, that's the challenge that we have. We have to have all three of these in order to have this cycle of grace that thrives in our life. I mean, I wish this servant had it. He doesn't. Look what does next. He seized him and he began to choke him and said, pay what you owe. He went from on his knees having his family sold to now he's choking a guy that owes 6,000 6, times less than he owed, right? And so the fellow servant fell down and pleaded with him, have patience with me and I will pay you. That sounds familiar. And he refused and went and put him in prison until he should pay the debt. And when his fellow servants saw what had taken place, they were greatly distressed. And he went and reported to their master all that had taken place. Then his master summoned him and said to him, you wicked servant. We don't want to hear that, do we? We want to hear, well done, good and faithful 
servant. We don't want to hear, you wicked servant, right? I forgave you all that debt because you pleaded with me and should not you have forgiven or had mercy on your fellow servant as I had mercy on you. And in anger, his master delivered him to the jailers until he should pay all of his debt. And so also my heavenly father will do to every one of you if you do not forgive your brother from your heart. Is there anybody that you're unwilling to forgive? Even if they've wronged you, even if they deserve to be put in prison for the debt, do you want to forgive them because of what Christ has done for us? That's the challenge, right? We're going to pray, and after we pray, we're going to have a time just of um, reflection. Jonathan's going to come up and, and play a song, I Surrender All. And if there's somebody in your life that you're unwilling to forgive, I pray that you won't leave this place with that baggage. That you'll talk to one of our pastors, Jayton and I will be up front, um, and you'll just come down and ask us to pray for you. Maybe you don't have real accountability in your life. You're like, I need someone to know the real me. That's not going to judge me who's going to walk beside me to help me be set free. Right? Maybe you don't have a childlike faith. Maybe you've never began that journey. Let today be the day. Right? So let's pray. Lord, I thank you for chapter 18, Lord. What an amazing challenge it is, Lord. Help us to have a childlike faith. To where, Lord, we are dependent on you, we trust in you, we have a relationship with you, we imitate you. Lord, we become a part of your body. Lord, help us to lay down any bitterness, anger, frustration, any unforgiveness, Lord. Help us lay that down at your feet. And Lord, I pray that you will help us, Lord, just to... Um, seek real accountability, whether it's through path groups or through discipleship, Lord, I pray that you'll help us to truly get real with people so we can be set free from these patterns of sin that pull us into the darkness. No, we want to live as the light. Lord, we pray all this in your name. Amen. So if you guys would stand up with us, um, we're going to sing just a few few stanzas of this great old hymn and um, don't leave this place the same. Jesus, I surrender all to Him. I freely give. I will ever love and trust Him in His presence daily. Treasures all 
forsaken take me Jesus take me now and I surrender all I surrender all put all to thee my blessed Savior I surrender all oh, to Jesus I surrender Lord I give myself to thee fill me with thy this morning first Sunday of 2024 being with the family and man <clears throat> Jesus said some hard things but thanks be to God he would give us his Holy Spirit to enable us to empower us to follow him to forgive to receive discipline um, church we love you so much I'm going to leave you with this verse it's um, in Ephesians Ephesians 4:32. Be kind to one another. Do that this week. Tender-hearted, forgiving one another as God in Christ is forgiving you. I pray that's our testimony this week, church. We love you so much. You're dismissed.